Welcome back to a brand new episode of Cinema de More. I am Justin Morgan. I'm here with Chuck Phillips. And we are discussing Stanley Kubrick this month with Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb from 1964. That title that just rolls right off the tongue. It, it does. <laughs> <laughs> just always, yeah. And the other night, Chuck watched it last night and he i think he found some cinematic connection between dr strange love and a more recent comedian and i can't unsee it either now Uh, yeah once like once it started like there was just some very specific moments in the war room when it's just like (laughs) almost like line for line like you can't do that I'm just like he's a Tim Robinson character like 100% every everything he does is like just that kind of over the top mannerism he has a, he has those weird tics like he's always chewing his gum too much because there's just odd little things that he does yeah George C. Scott's character in this is identical to a huge number of Tim Robinson's characters from I think you should leave or in general, I mean, I've yeah. seen him do things, other things, and it's just that same person. All the mannerisms and everything are there. Like it's... very uncomfortably sweaty, just talking <laughs> loudly to like make your point. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure you're not a commie? Yeah, like that, it, <laughs> everything about it seems so the, like so. This general, he's uh, he's off the rails. Well, let's not uh, jump to conclusions here and just start uh, talking about people like that. Yeah, it's that exact mannerism there that makes me think that it's yeah. some weird impersonation. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah that, that, that was one of my favorite things from watching that last night was just noticing that. Uh, the other kind of like vibe I was getting too was from uh, Jack D. Ripper. That character reminded me exactly of how my, when I did that Catch-22 your Short dad film yeah. yeah he reminded me exactly of my dad in that. yes <laughs> yeah i, I 100 have that that same get that exact same general impression it's weird to, it's funny too because like it is the same like that that scene in general is another like weird thing where he's almost like saying the exact same kind of dialogue because that's his weird uh his weird thing in catch 22 that you that you did where it's like yeah, you got any of them sex dreams that you can tell me about? Like, like that's the same thing uh, Sterling Hayden's doing in this movie. Yeah, he's talking he's about like his bodily fluids. They're trying to get our precious. They're trying to contaminate our precious bodily fluids. That's oh, why. That's why he doesn't drink water. He only drinks rainwater and distilled water. Or like how cold he is when he says about how they're enjoying the conversation. We're yeah. having an enjoyable conversation right now. Like that's <laughs> that's how me and uh, Chuck are every week that we talk on the podcast. <laughs> We're having an enjoyable conversation, aren't we? Yeah. I hope somebody's tuning in and being like, "I don't know what the fuck's going on. This yeah. is not normally how these two sound." This is going off the rails. <laughs> yes, uh, the whole movie is off the rails. I mean, it is. Honestly, it is it is one of the funniest movies I have ever watched. I saw that it was one of the first 25 movies in 1989 to be inducted into the the National Library of uh whatever this is Hil- yeah. film preserve the first 25 films. 
But all the performances in it are wonderful. Peter Sellers has like three roles, but like honestly, everybody in it, even like Slim Pickens, like Slim Pickens <laughs> is hilarious on this. You got James Earl Jones. He doesn't really get a huge role in it, but he was in a Stanley Kubrick movie, I guess. So there's that. Yeah. He's got that to his name. Yeah. He doesn't even have any very nice shots. You just hear the voice and you're like, Darth yeah. Vader? Mufasa? Yeah, that's more than anything else for, for his character. And I do love the way this film starts where they like have to put a disclaimer like, the the air force has ensured us that the situation happening in this film could never possibly happen like they have the they have very strict policies to ensure things like this don't happen but it really feels like somebody somewhere would see this and that works in the government and be like yeah that probably could happen well i think it's a joke too because the opening says that the the characters are supposed to look like who they represent yeah it doesn't say that since they're not supposed to look like who they represent it says are it's like they yeah. definitely like it the intentions are for these to look like <laughs> real people yeah just like i mean there's so many things in this movie that are classic like there's no fighting in the war room and when they ask when peter sellers asked that guy to shoot the coke machine He's like, sir, that's private property. <laughs> just all that, just like everything. Well, they, yeah, and then then his response, like when he's like, yeah, before that, when he asks, uh, do you, do you wouldn't happen to have fifty five cents? And he's like, you think I go into battle with loose change in my pocket? But he <laughs> yeah. just says it so dead serious. Then yeah, shoot that machine. You know, if you don't get in touch with the president and he authorizes this, you're going to be in trouble with the Coca Cola company. I think the strangest thing about the movie is it feels oddly comfortable with being goofy. And I don't get that feeling with very many Stanley Kubrick movies. Everything from him seems to be very particular. And and this feels like something that was like more loose. Like they were like he was okay with actors trying things that maybe weren't exactly what he had intended. Yeah. I mean it's definitely his most like, I guess it would say, like, the one that's the most just a flat-out comedy out of any of his films. There's other films that have some comedic elements, uh, some of the characters in Lolita, some it's situations. It's only Peter Sellers. But, yeah, yeah, like, basically. It's yeah. only him. Like, yeah, every time he works with Peter Sellers, he gets some good good comedic gold going. But, uh, yeah, it, it is interesting. But he still, it is still very much filmed. Like, it's it's so obvious that it's a Kubrick film. Because he does the the very you know symmetrical shots. He loves the he loves to frame everything really beautifully and have everything at a distance a lot of the times. Uh, yeah, there there is something just about the performances that he gets from these people, especially like George C. Scott, who is not known for being a comedic actor in the slightest. And I know that's that's like been a story that they've told before about that he didn't want to play it more as a comedian or not. I guess not go like as far comedically as as is portrayed in the final film. Like he wanted to keep it somewhat serious, and they just like basically but Kubrick like tricked like him into Tim into Robin's making it more like comedic that. presence is that exact performance. Yeah, it's the Doctor Strange love performance of George C. Scott. Yeah, I there there is something great about this movie. I would say this is. I feel like this is probably one of the 
like not not the first one I saw from Kubrick. It was definitely one of the later ones. Like a, a, probably the first things I would have seen were like Clockwork Orange, Full Metal Jacket, The Shining, uh, all of those films. And then just one day it was like, I want to say I probably rented it from Hollywood Video at some point. I, or I even saw like 2001 and then I just started like, well, what are, you know, trying to find like other Kubrick films because I like those ones. And I was like, well, what are some other films? And I came across this one and it, yeah, there is something just, I, I do want to say like, it gets pretty perfect in just the way it plays everything out and the, the entire scenario that does feel like something that could legitimately happen. And there's almost, they, they write it so perfectly that there's always a reason for why this won't work. Like when he tells them, oh uh, yeah, this guy uh, sent all these planes to bomb Russia. We'll call him back. Uh, well, you see, the provision that we put in there was that uh, the only person that could call them back is the general because he's got the three-digit code. We'll call him up. Uh, well, you see, he's shut down the air base, so we can't uh, we can't exactly call him right now. <laughs> like, there's just always <laughs> one like, plane. Uh, yeah. One plane got through. Well, what is the odds of it being success, sex, successful? Hmm. Well, that is what they're trained to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. George C. Scott, when he gets, he's like, no, nah, there's no way they're going to take these guys down. They're real tough guys. They're trained to go under the radar and get that mission done. And then he like thinks about it for a second and realizes how bad that is. Also, the main character in that plane, Slim Pickens, is feels like a imbecile. Like, you know, so you feel like, oh, maybe he's not smart enough to, to do it. But he's incredibly accurate with like. Yeah you know what the procedure is and that they're following the procedure he's just super determined to see this mission through i do love yeah. that when he gets the like the first thing he does when he gets the attack plan is opens up the safe to pull out his cowboy hat yeah that's like the very first thing he does when they're like wing wing attack plan r and you see him like get into that safe and you're like oh i wonder what he's gonna pull out and he just swaps his his uh helmet for a cowboy hat like he's like now i'm ready to go yeah, I, I love too. The character is just so funny where the doors jam, they can't get the door open. And he's like, Oh, I got this. And he goes, down there. And like, I don't know if his intention, I don't feel like his intention was to ride the bomb no. down, but it's just sort of like when he finally it got the door happens. open, he, it looked like it just dropped him with him on it. But I, I love his, like, instead of being afraid, he has that, like, gun-ho military, like, hoorah, like, I'm there, I'm I'm doing exactly what my country needs me to do. Yeah. Which is start a nuclear holocaust, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> I, I think, though, this movie, it's the satire that feels totally probable, and we've watched things where essentially like the way i mean this is more so on the military side but the government too and how when you know when you think about the logistics of how things are handled what we saw in like shin godzilla for example it's like it plays out in the same mannerisms like there's rules whether there's sensibility to it or not and this 100 percent seems like something that could happen and i mean the last four years that we experienced with Donald Trump, very show us like the slim pickings slash Sterling hating characters exist. They're out there, <laughs> and they might be they might be dumber, but they're out there. And I I think that's what works the best with this movie. It's all the satire. It all feels right there. 
Yeah, there's a. I would say the other the other thing that I was thinking of when watching the movie, uh, the other person that I get reminded of is Sterling Hayden's character, General Ripper. Uh, one hundred percent makes me think of Alex Jones now, specifically because his whole thing's about the fluoride in the water. So it's like it just makes me think of that the the soundbite of they're putting chemicals in the water to turn the freaking frogs gay. Like that's that feels like that's him to a T. Like because he's explain what every time he has to explain that you know they're they're trying to steal they're trying to get into our precious bodily fluids with the with the fluoride in the water. And like, yeah, Peter Sellers like I drink water all the time and I'm uh, I'm a pretty good guy I'm pretty normal. I don't and think then that's he's just it. like staring at him. He he's a little unnerving in this too. It's just it's weird. It's like he kind of takes it. He takes the Peter Sellers character, who's in the like the British Royal Air Force. He takes to him like he's a buddy, but there are a few moments where it seems like he's extremely scary, and could definitely change on him and like you know snap of a finger. Yeah. But I, I mean, I like when they're trying to like take him out and he's just like not worried whatsoever about the fire that, you know, the gunfire that's coming into his office. You're doing a great job out there. They're doing their job. Yeah. They, yeah. When they're all out there and they see the, they see the trucks coming, man, those, those Russians got some real good, uh, real good fake trucks are like yeah they probably bought them army surplus <laughs> they probably got the leftover ones it's like man those uniforms look real and then they just start shooting everybody uh, yeah peter sellers I, I do enjoy his that he plays three different roles and he does play them very very differently they're all they are all very distinct characters the when he plays the president he is trying to be like a very no-nonsense guy that, that just wants the wants to get everything done properly uh you know tries to take charge but then keeps getting uh stopped by everything that george c scott keeps telling him of all the problems with his plan that it won't go through uh and then yeah as the uh as the royal air force captain you know he plays that character more as more as trying to be like a peacemaker with <laughs> with general ripper who's destroying everything i do enjoy when he's like trying to make him feel better and he's like uh, weren't we having a good time over there with the uh, the machine gun and feeding you the bullets? And we were, we were really taking it to him, right? So uh, you'll give me that code, right? And then, and then yeah, of course, uh, Doctor Strangelove, the the title character who is just him. I feel like that's just him, completely one hundred percent. I I almost don't even know if if Kubrick probably had anything involved with like creating that character. Like I, he wrote it came up with it in the script but that feels 100% like they were just like okay Peter just uh, just do whatever you want just just make this guy a, a weird a weird Nazi basically he is a Nazi he's supposed to be like a German advisor and yeah. he's clearly like an ex-Nazi constantly refer he he, uh, he he also makes me think of the the character from young frankenstein and the and the older frankenstein films the guy with the the wooden arm who's also like a german guy uh he reminded me a little bit too of that guy from scrooge i don't remember the actor's name that has that weird like i can't do the impersonation where it's just like that really like throaty like oh guys like i can't do it but 
don't know who I you're tried to about. do it. I can look him up. You know who I'm talking <laughs> The guy that's like trying to shoot uh, Bill Murray at the end of the movie. Oh, Bobcat Goldthwait? Yeah, that voice yeah. that he does, that is like 100%. Like it keeps yeah, slipping he does through kinda, yeah. in that seller's performance. Yeah, every once in a while I know what you're talking about. Yeah, every, every when he keeps uh, he keeps referring to the president as as mind Fuhrer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he keeps trying to like give him the give him the uh, Heil Hitler <laughs> multiple times, which he has to like beat his arm into submission because it's like it has a mind of its own. I love the Russian guy too, where they're like he's he's trying to take pictures. See, we caught him, and uh, when all the chaos is going on, like right before like the world essentially starts blowing up. He's got the little pocket yeah, watch to take does, pictures of yeah, it inside. He does take some pictures. Yeah. You can't let him in. He'll see the big board. <laughs> uh, that, yeah. I, Everything that, about it is like funny though. Like when they do have the call with Dimitri and like you never hear Dimitri, but he but Peter Sellers like Dimitri, like I'm sorry, man, but we're we're trying our best here. Yeah. What do you mean? I call all the time. I'm just I'm I'm we're both <laughs> sorry. You you're you can't be more sorry than I am sorry. We're equally sorry. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy the fact that they don't put the other uh they don't like give you a voice for for Dimitri, the character that's supposed to be the the prime minister of uh Russia because it just lets Peter Sellers Peter Sellers just has to do all the work of like selling everything that he's saying like all his reactions to it so he just gets the he just gets to go even deeper with that performance and, and yeah i do enjoy when he's when he's telling him all that stuff uh and it just keeps coming up well well yeah i didn't i wasn't gonna do this uh no we're gonna we're gonna figure this out uh and, and yeah but but when we get told uh we get told of the doomsday device that that apparently if they drop any nukes that it'll it'll set off a chain reaction and create yeah nuclear holocaust and kill the entire planet which then yeah dr strange loves reaction well it doesn't work too well when you don't tell anybody about it and keep it secret and that guy's just like we were gonna bring it up on monday he likes surprises yeah i mean everything is comedically wonderful it's so strange because strange there we go pun not intended because you think of all the th- films after that and i think after this and the closest that comes to comedy is probably a clockwork or clockwork orange but it's so dark that it's not funny yeah and then I can't like he the the biggest comedic thing before that is probably Lolita. Like I I really don't think that he it's weird. He doesn't really do a lot of comedy. Uh maybe a funny moment here or there and I I just kind of feel like maybe it's unintentional or the scene works out funnier and Kubrick just keeps it. Yeah, but certainly not what he's known for. Uh, I have, I feel like you a little bit with the Coen brothers. I've watched everything up to, uh, from Fear and Desire to Dr. Strangelove currently. I haven't gotten a chance to watch anything else. Uh, I I actually, I'm disappointed I didn't get a chance to watch, because I didn't realize until uh, earlier when I was uh, looking some stuff up that the film Failsafe which is on Criterion, and mm-hmm. I, I purchased it, but I never 
I didn't get around to watching it. Uh, the Sidney Lumet film that came out around the same time and is based on a book that the author of the author of this this book, which is called Red Alert, uh, he sued he sued the author of Failsafe because he said it was so similar to his book and he got paid for it. Like they said, yeah, it's one hundred percent like a copy of your book. And then apparently that was another problem. Like Kubrick was mad that they were making that film because he was like, he was like, well, it's a ripoff of the book that I'm adapting. So it's basically a ripoff of my film. And he got the, I I think they were released by the same studio from what I read, but his did come out first and it was the more commercially successful of the two films. But I guess he was like very upset that they were making it. And he thought like it was going to steal all his thunder because it was being directed by Sidney Lumet and it had a, bunch of big stars in it that were they were like more famous even than the actors in his film so he thought they were gonna like every it was gonna somehow turn into that film being the bigger of the two but his turned out to be the the more popular i mean we've discussed it before it happens so often that there happens to be two movies coming out that have the exact same premise or very close to it yeah recently we talked about the mitchells versus the machines being so close to ron's gone wrong but we've always yeah. had it, like Paul Blart and Observe and Report, yeah. Ants and A Bug's Life. Like, like it, they, they couldn't be several years <laughs> apart. They always have to come out like right around the exact same time. Yeah, and it and it almost always is, like almost without fail, whether the first one is good or not, it's almost always the the one that beats the other to the theaters is all always does better because like people aren't that stupid that they don't realize that that oh isn't that just like that movie i saw six months ago like like again paul blart came out before observing report and observing report like bombed so hard like nobody went to see that film at all i think largely because people were like the movie about the mall cop didn't i watch that already or the same with uh granted i never saw paul blart i've never seen it either but it was but again it still was like the more popular of the two uh i didn't mind that just seemed like report i think is that jody hill that did that yeah um yeah. really really which very dark. very much fits in with it but but fits in with everything else he's done like uh righteous gemstones and vice principles he did an episode of peacemaker which i was like it definitely felt like yeah. something from his type of comedy he feels like that he i don't even want to say he's like very similar he's not similar to kubrick i feel like at all jody hill jody hill not at all but uh i do enjoy the way he almost kind of tackles in a similar way to this film, like really dark subjects and tries to make them just really jokey and like almost you're laughing at how ridiculous the situation possibly is. All these characters that take themselves so dead seriously, like a George C. Scott character uh, that are just like, no, you don't understand. Like I'm 100% right about this. And it's just ridiculous. The things that they, the lengths that they go to justify all their, all I their saw actions. An article too that was talking about um it was specifically righteous gemstones, but it could have been satire in general. But they were talking about how that show nailed these types of people, like the modern day fool, where it is funny, but at the same time it's not far off from how people are actually thinking. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of the the wonder that happens in Doctor Strangelove is it's the same thing where there's total believability that these people would exist and be in power and things could happen exactly as they're happening in the movie. Yeah. I mean that 
that definitely does feel like something like obviously maybe not this exact scenario as it plays out in this but it almost does you do have to think how much authority do do they control over like the troops that are over like already stationed in a country like what what would really stop obviously somebody being there but what would stop like a guy that's at a base in like iran or one of those countries around there and just being like you know what I, we need to take the war to them like the politicians in in washington dc i don't think they really understand what it's like over here and just like getting a bunch of guys in tanks and just being like all right we're rolling out like or how many movies have we seen where like they've received that coat that kill code you know like and then they're the you get the moment where like everyone's like sweating like oh they want us to launch all these nuclear weapons are you sure yeah i double checked the code i triple checked the code yeah and then it's and then there's usually something similar where like there's a lack of like communications on lockdown and they're like well i guess i gotta fire these missiles at exactly this time yeah but in dr strange love they play it differently where it just just there's such a stupidity to the way that the system works yet all the characters understand that they understand the way that it works and like I, I think what makes it funny is like they're slightly let down that the system system works as well as it does yeah but <laughs> they like they totally are like you know like like i said earlier with the the plane where do you think that they'll make it they're trained to make it like that's their job <laughs> Yeah, we can't find them on the radar because they're flying too low. Exactly, that's what they were trained to do. <laughs> I love how, too, like just moments where the B fifty two is like going so goddamn like comically fast when yeah. they you see it when they do the miniatures. Yeah, I, I don't know. And then some of that stuff too, like I don't know what the inside of the B fifty two looks like. But there are slight things in there where I wonder if they're more comedic or if they actually do exist. Like in my head, I'm like, does it? Is there the self the test self destruct button? Does that exist in the plane? Yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff in the uh, in their interactions in there. I do enjoy the uh, James Earl Jones and that other guy that are down in the the under carriage area. And when they get the code, like they just both stick their head up through that tiny trap door that like just their two heads barely fit through. And they're like, Ma Major, you think it's just a test? I think you're just testing us. And he's like, no, boys, I think this is legit. And, they, and then they just like drop back down in the hole and get back into position. That same trap door that like hits Slim Pickens on the head that you think would be like very painful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's like another one of those uh, that, that real. He does a good job. He loves to build tension in all of his films, and I'm glad Slim that Pickens? he. No, just Kubrick. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, the way that uh, the way that he loves to build, it, even in this comedic film, like how you were referring to earlier with the trapdoor, and how it's not just a simple, like, sir, the trapdoor doesn't open, and he goes straight down to fix it. It's like the trapdoor doesn't open. We'll try the try the manual release, and he's like hitting it, and he's like, manual release not working, and then it just keeps building up. We'll try to try to use the hydraulics. Hydraulics not working, sir. And they just keep going through like ten different options before uh, he finally goes down to do it himself and and release it. So it just keeps building. Like you're waiting for them to drop that bomb, and that guy keeps uh, that guy keeps saying like how close they are to the target as he keep and they keep going through every option to try to release it. 
I mean, I even like when they get that moment where they're going to run out of fuel. Yeah. And they're like, fuck it. What's the next closest yeah. target? What's so the they closest totally thing? changed their target to a, like a more achievable task. I yeah. Can't... They're like, yeah, when he he says, I didn't I didn't come all this way just to send this thing into the drink. <laughs> what's, yeah, what's the next available target? We're taking it out. I just love it. I, I mean... The first time that I've watched this movie, I, I felt that they were going to succeed. I thought there was going to be uh, that they were going to follow through with it. I don't know. There's something that's just wonderful about the the failure of a system. Like I think of um, there's a moment in Atlas Shrugged that's similar. It's nobody taking action on this problem with a train. And basically, the tra- <laughs> like, everyone on the train dies because nobody makes a decision, uh, which I guess is kind of similar. It's not really indecision in this movie. It's more like, it's more like, oh, uh, well, that's just how things are supposed to work out. Yeah. Yeah. The, not at all. Yeah. The way everything works out perfectly. And I, and I also uh, I really love when they keep getting into the different, like, everything, the space race, the arms race. And that's when uh, the Russian ambassador tells him, we didn't want to get left out on the doomsday race. <laughs> so that's why they build the machine. And then uh, once they're basically left at the point that, you know, this is inevitable that they're going to that they're going to hit their target and something's going to trigger that device and wipe out the world. And then Dr. Strangelove starts coming up with the plan to, like, go into some mine shafts and like. <laughs> Like his whole plan is they'll live in mine shafts for the next hundred years and they'll just wait it out. Uh, and the, that's what they keep referring to. We can't, we can't lose the mine shaft race. The Russians are going to start getting in their mine shafts. We got to get in ours like right now. But like George C. Scott's uh, biggest uh, question is now, doctor, you said 10 women to every one man that will, uh, destroy the monogamous relationship as we know it correct <laughs> he's like he's like yes unfortunately that will because we will need to repopulate and George C. scott's like oh that's pretty rough <laughs> like ever like he's trying to pretend like like that's like the worst news in the world yeah i i i don't think we get a shorter film after this either for from kubrick and he starts he goes more epic Everything after that is a three-hour movie. Well, not all everything, but yeah, I think yeah, I think maybe I think uh, from this per- point on, maybe like I almost want to say probably like Clockwork might be the shortest after this, but even that's still like I'm two and a sure half Full hours. Metal Jacket's only like a two-hour movie. Uh, uh, yeah, we might have we might have looked this up before to see like like if like if you did any like real like epic films, that might be. That might be the shortest one, yeah. It's probably closer. Yeah, I know the Shining. I mean, like, 2001's long. The Shining is long. Eyes Wide Shut's long. Yeah. Barry Clockworks. London's long. Yeah, we have Barry London's like three hours Barry long. Barry London's a long one. Yeah, I mean, I guess of all his movies, too, the one we're not talk, getting into depth about, like, this is obviously our Doctor Strange Love episode, but rewatching Spartacus is like another one that feels off. And I know that is something that he wasn't meant to direct originally. Um, so it kind of has that same, like, how they pulled Peter Jackson in to do The Hobbit, the first Hobbit movie. Yeah. It, it oddly, like, doesn't have his style. But 
I mean, it, it, he did end up getting Kirk Douglas again, who I think Paths of Glory is fucking wonderful movie. And, and that almost kind of has a similar satire to this movie, although it's not funny. Like, it's yeah. not comical at all. Yeah, it's anti-war, but yeah, not in a... Not in a jokey way. Yeah, or they have, to, like, like have to make an example out of people that logically didn't do what they were supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is like... That's more like a punishment on uh, innocent people. Yeah. And this is just like, you know, we're all getting punished because we're stupid. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely... That's definitely one thing that, that's very apparent, I think, with Kubrick is that uh, I would say he's not a fan of... I don't know, just like maybe if he's a fan of the military in general, like how much he cares for that. But he definitely does seem to be extremely anti-war. All of his films that deal with war are about how bad it is. Full Metal Jacket, I think, gets more into the idea of just how that psychologically like screws up the people that get into the get into the military and have to deal with that. That gets more specific into that side of it. But uh, he obviously definitely, I feel like, was very much against getting into these kind of conflicts, and it comes through in his different war films, uh, the way he portrays. Uh, but I do enjoy this one where he goes just more more comedic, uh, almost, again, just a highlight. It's not comedy just to be funny. I mean, of recent memory, too, the movie that we just got from Adam McKay, Don't Look Up, has very similar Doctor Strange love vibes. You know, they're... It's totally another failure of society. Yeah. Did you watch that yet? I didn't watch it yet. I enjoyed it. it people were really knocking it down. Um, I I mean, I don't think it was... When they do the comedy, not everything is necessarily perfect. But the whole idea of nobody really caring or glossing over the idea that an asteroid's going to take out the world. <laughs> it just totally has that same exact vibe of, oh, uh, I can see it playing out exactly like it does in this movie. Like, 100%. Like, the media is, they're more interested in this, like, love relationship for, like, the teen heartthrob rapper group than they are <laughs> about this asteroid. Oh. But yeah, I would recommend that. I don't know necessarily where to watch Doctor Strange Love. Uh, I don't know. It might be. I don't know if it's on Netflix or something. Did you, no. did you stream it somewhere? No, I pulled out my Blu-ray for that one. Oh, it was. I have not two anywhere. Blu-rays of it actually. I have the Kubrick set and I have the Criterion. Yeah, I have that Kubrick set. That's that's like one of those ones that I hate trying to pull out because those those pages in that thing are so tight. They're like I feel like I'm like gonna rip the disc, uh, yeah. like or I'm gonna rip something right out of there when I'm trying to get it. Uh, it's a nice set because I think you got the same one as me, the limited one that has like Spartacus yeah, yeah. and Lolita and stuff. Because they, I don't know, they don't normally include it. I yeah. watch Shining every year, and the one time that I was, I was coming up the steps from my basement, and it slid out the book with the movie slid out and fell on the floor, and it like nicked off like a piece of of the color of the paper from the thing i was like god damn it like because it was like mint and now it's like now it looks like this chunk got chewed off of the side of it although i have upgraded just two of the movies 2001 is 4k now and i have shining 4k 
There's a Clockwork 4K, but I didn't buy that. And I think a Full Metal Jacket. So yeah, those are probably the so. only four right now. Yeah. Yeah, probably. And they're wonderful looking. They really are. I, I don't understand how the the transfer looks so great for the 4K for them. But 2001, that was the one like on Blu-ray where I'm like, how does this look better than some brand new movies that just came out and then watching it on 4k it's just like i i don't get how good it looks maybe it's just film and that 4k restoration process is just eats it up or like i don't know how to describe it because a lot of times when they're doing that scanning of the 4k the 4k scan it's a machine that usually just does it and it goes frame by frame uh, trying to fix things. And I think for like some of these movies, it takes like three it can take like three full days to do a scan. Yeah. Uh, and then I think people go in and try to clean them up even more. I don't do restoration, but <laughs> I, I do always find it fascinating with um, Criterion Collections are one of those prime examples where they'll find an old film. And they'll say, like, oh, we had this ugly scratch on it. And, um, you know, like, we could erase it, but we didn't want to erase it entirely because, you know, like, it, it's something that was on, like, the main print. And this is the version that everybody saw, so we didn't want to take it out. I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, <laughs> there's really that much thought that goes into these things. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is with Stanley Kubrick. Um I think as a person, everybody he, – he obviously is this huge perfectionist, and he didn't necessarily care about anything more than his film that he was making. Didn't care about people's well-being. Um, not that I don't think there's anything really in Dr. Strangelove that has any, like, issues, but I know, like, 2001 is definitely one of the ones where – we. Yeah, I mean, even The Shining, too, like yeah. – uh, Sherry Duvall's care like the actress basically is traumatized from him for life. But it's sort of weird because it's like you think about a, a director, they're supposed to get that performance out of people. And yeah, I don't know. It's like a no roles thing. Like how do you get somebody to be upset and scared in your horror movie? I'm not saying what he does is right, but. And then you have Doctor Strangelove, which is just goofy. <laughs> goofy in a good way, though. The whole movie is is wonderful, and it it is. It's made out of like a bunch of old old characters or old actors from his previous films. Goes back to black and white, which I think kind of gives it that old like fifties Cold War vibe to it also i'm a huge fan of black and white so i think it makes like sterling hayden's character that's always smoking his cigars like it just makes it more cinematic yeah <laughs> i love that shot that you always see of him too that's like that lower shot of him with a big ass cigar in his face that's like way too large yeah yeah, it was, it was great. I love the set design, which is Ken Adam, who did a lot of the James Bond films. And the war room feels like it could be in like a James Bond film. 
it like feels that. like a, a blow-filled evil layer yeah. or something. Yeah, that's 100% what it makes me think of. I mean, I, let's let's. I guess with Stanley Kubrick's movies in general, you like more of them than you dislike. I would assume. Yeah. And the ones that you dislike, like I think, Fear and Desire is terrible. Killer's Kiss is not very good, but the Killing on is is pretty good. And maybe Spartacus personally just feels like it does it. It feels a little off. It's not a bad movie. There's just something slightly off about that movie that just doesn't feel like a Kubrick film. Yeah. Um. But I think like he takes his time and he he makes the movies every couple years, and he he pretty much has honed his craft, and everything is a treat. And I I am a huge fan of Eyes Wide Shut. I know people. There's some people that just like hate that. I don't know what it is. If it's just coming off of you know, clockwork shining and full metal jacket or something, but people love to diss it. Yeah. I enjoy most of those movies. Like I said, I haven't seen those, those first two films um, that you had seen. Maybe, maybe I'll never go back and watch them. Cause I don't hmm. want to, I don't want to have that. The only other film of his, I don't really think it's tainting it though. A lot of people's first yeah. movies aren't good. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's the only other thing that I would say, uh, and like, like you're saying with like, I don't think Spartacus is a bad movie. Like, just kind of like how you're saying it just doesn't feel like a Kubrick movie. It's, but it's not a bad movie. And then the only other one that I ever like don't really care for is Lolita. And that's just because it's like, it, it's so bland as like nothing even happens. And that was largely just because as he was trying to make the film, they were like, you can't say things like that. You can't do things like that. And he was like, well, what am I going to do in this movie? And they're like, I don't know. Just like not do anything and that largely just feels like when i've seen that movie that's what it just feels like is everything's yeah, I mean, just kind of like weird stuff in there too where like it seems like a constant fight with the sensors yeah that moment where it's like lolita is going to get to the dentist to get her cavities filled and it's like yeah she is and i'm like yeah it's, god it's, like it's that's like that's stuff, the only yeah. way they can talk about these things it's weird and i know that's like that's like one of the only films that i know kubrick's talked about like if he'd have realized like how big of a problem it was going to be, he would have never even tried I to make Lolita it. I think Lolita is still a, a pretty damn good movie though. Uh, but it does, it is like the Kubrick, like it, I would almost say it doesn't feel like a, a Kubrick film. And then I watched Dr. Strangelove and maybe it is Peter Sellers performance more so, but those are the only ones where like that comedy, that type of comedy like seeps in. I really do enjoy uh, and maybe it's not great on the you know the movie as a whole, but that opening scene in Lolita with Peter Sellers, um, it, it's funny, and it's really like a really good opener. I think for a movie where you're like, well, what the hell happened? Like, where <laughs> where is this going? And does it satis? Is it pull it off in like a satisfying way? Um, no, <laughs> like you're you're right. Like it definitely feels that. Uh, it goes on for maybe like too long or doesn't have like the resolve of like other Kubrick films. But yeah, I, I would say Fear and Desire was on Amazon for free and then I watched Killer's Kiss again on 
I don't own it. It was on Pluto. Yeah. But Pluto is funny because uh, it's on my Roku. They do commercials, but they don't have like good spots for the commercials. Like they don't. No one watched that movie and was like, I'm going to put a commercial between this scene. It's literally like in the middle of people talking. It just cuts to a commercial. Yeah, I think that's yeah, I think that's with a lot of uh, the the other service that I've used. It's pretty funny. uh, It's like a tense moment where it's like, listen, I'm going to only say this once, (laughs) and it cuts to like a commercial about that's that's the other one. That that one, uh, Tubi, is like the same way. It does the same thing where it'll just yeah, it just like. I think they just timed it. You don't so want to pay like, $4 for the rental. Yeah. This is what you deal with. It's like they just timed it so that every like every 15 minutes or something, there's a commercial or something like that. So yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what is, at all is on screen. They're just like, nope, commercial. Yeah, it's it's not a perfect movie either. But I, you, you do see the progression of things. So I think that that's worth checking out. Fear and Desire is that commentary on war that carry over carries over into paths of glory and then carries over into Dr. Strangelove and eventually full metal jacket, like that military theme that he, he likes to take a crack at uh, killer's kiss is more like the noir. Uh, it's just not that interesting. Uh, I don't know. It just like the net, the following year he did the killing. And I think the killings like the beginning of, of Kubrick and um, but yeah I just feel like every movie like even Barry Lyndon like people gave that a lot of shit and I I thought Barry Lyndon was great I love the scene where they have the duel and the guy accidentally misfires his gun and he's just like sweating like oh fuck like I'm gonna die <laughs> yeah but I guess that's all we're missing. We're missing more Kubrick. Because like even more. AI is not very Kubrickian. It it's it definitely yeah, has the Spielberg takeover. Yeah. That that is an interesting one that I'd love to to have Talk seen more. Yeah. See more yeah, if we ever get into I guess more more films that were taken over by someone else, were supposed to be completed by someone else. Like we've uh you get some of those every once in a while, like almost, I don't know that he was ever attached to it, but when we did uh Chinatown and then we also talked about the two Jakes and how that's such a, it's such a difference in quality going from <laughs> yeah. Roman Polanski directing to Jack Nicholson directing. And obviously there's a lot of time that passes between those when those two films came out, but it is just so, so noticeable. Like they don't even, they, other than the character being the same character, they just don't even feel like they're in the same universe at all. They're just so different. Yeah, I I mean, we can get into AI a little bit, and maybe one day we do cover it entirely. But that's a movie where, like, the blueprints definitely feel like Kubrick. Like, where that movie goes feels, it feels like a companion to 2001. Yeah, like the end. The end yeah, the, the end, exactly. Like, it feels like that would be Stanley Kubrick. It's ending for sure. But then you watch it and it just like Spielberg put in all those like Spielbergian shots and stuff like that. He he added too much of his. Yeah, that's. I don't think it's wrong, though. I mean, the only thing that I I ever thought that was I I really enjoy 
is that there's this joke uh, short film that they made called The Keys to Reservia. And it's it's Martin Scorsese making a Hitchcock movie that they had found the script for and they're going to make it as much like a like a Hitchcock movie as possible. And I mean, it's a joke. Uh, they don't really find like it's not really a real thing that's found. But I love it because it does feel 100% like something that Alfred Hitchcock would have made had he been alive to make it. And, I mean, that's how Martin Scorsese explains it at the beginning. He's just like, he can't make it because he's dead. But if he were to make it, I'm going to make it exactly like how he would have made it if he were alive. And I think that's inter – I would actually be kind of interested to see something completed or done like that. I mean, I guess – where we have the movies that are sequels of things that are like 30 years old, sometimes the tone matches up very well. Yeah. Um, for, for example, when we watch Dr. Sleep, it does have that shining tone when they are at the overlook. Like the, sh the camera starts to move the same way. The shots are all very similar. And then we have it again, I guess. It's also The Shining, so maybe we'll uh, hold off talking more in detail about it on The Shining episode. But Spielberg does The Shining in his Ready Player One. Um, mm -hmm. It's more like a 10-minute segment of The Shining, but, <laughs> uh, and it, but it does feel like it's all Kubrick shots. It's not... It's Spielberg not looking like Spielberg again. Yes. But yeah, I mean, obviously, if you, it's hard to describe this movie, and I think the hardest thing to describe Doctor Strangelove is the fact that it's hard to describe a comedy. It's it's hard to be like, yeah, it made me laugh. The feelings that I had were humorous. Uh, I could see the truth in there, and that made things funnier but it's like the plot is basically the system working but you know it's fucking us that made the system so <laughs> we're fucking ourselves over and, and it's like a weird one where like i do feel like if you think you hear the name stanley kubrick and i'm sure like how we started with the killing not a lot of people have watched the killing unless they're big movie buffs uh, and like, obviously if you like the noir type films, it's definitely a good one to check out. And Dr. Strangelove is one of those great war satires that, I mean, I, th even if you were pro war, I think you could, you would really get something out of it and, and you don't have to necessarily be in the military to like enjoy, like, I don't think it's hard to follow. They keep it pretty simplistic. Yeah, yeah, it is. I feel like it is probably maybe like how you were saying too. Like it, it's probably a little bit more accessible. Just be just the fact that it is one of his shorter films that he before he started going into those those long, more epic, epic length films. Like it is a good movie to just show somebody just to be like, hey, you know, see if you like this. Like, but but I guess then also uh might not be the most representative of his overall style like i could see someone no. being like be like oh, i like that movie be like well you're gonna love the one where a guy murders his family and or tries to murder his family and blow uh 
you know, sees ghosts in a hotel, or you're going to love the one where uh, a guy joins the military, gets beat up, murders himself. Uh, Vietnam's real cool. Like, you into that type of stuff? Or the guy that he doesn't trust his wife's fantasy and then yeah. goes out and finds a, a scary cult. Yeah. Have you seen the one where the guy uh, gets psychologically tortured to reform himself? <laughs> well, if you like this film, I think you're going to like those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, after after this movie, I don't want to say the comedy ends, but it pretty much does. Uh, I, there's moments that are funny in the movies, but I, none of them are comedies after this. Yeah. It's almost it's almost more like unintentional comedy after this. Like anything that's funny is like not really even meant to be funny, or just comes off very strange. Or like the the Barry Lyndon scene I was talking about, I think is meant to be funny, but the whole yeah. movie is not meant to be funny. And The Shining, you get moments like that too, where it's like when oh he knows exactly what cannibalism is. He saw it on the television. Like yeah. it's it's funny, and I I think Kubrick knows it's funny too. Actually, a lot of the stuff in the beginning of the first half of Full Metal Jacket, even though it's psychological torture, uh, is funny. It's comedic, yeah. But, uh, I mean, I'm comfortable with that being our episode. Yeah. I, we, I think we hit every point. And if we didn't, oh well. Yeah, that's our Doctor Strange Love episode. Just me and Chuck having a casual conversation, not always diving into some behind the scenes stuff that I know people will find interesting, but just that general like drinking some coffee and talking about movies that we love and and we discover new things every single time that we watch it. And I think that the one that I'll never, ever be able to overlook is your Tim Robinson comparison ever. <laughs> I will always see that. And now I'm going to see it the opposite way, too. When we get more of his his skits, I'm going to see George C. Scott yeah. in Dr. Strangelove. That's exactly what, it, what it's going to be. Well, we're going to follow it up with the big one next week. When I just say the big one, it's because it's, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. The Shining, but uh, I would jump into as many Kubrick films as you possibly can. I'm also a huge fan of the one that comes after this, which is 2001, and I am in that boat of thinking, like, it is one of the best science fiction movies of all time, and I know it's a little more difficult for it to, like, it grew on me. My fir The first time I watched it, I was like, I don't think I like that, and then over time, it just really stuck and shining is another one where it like it it really really grew like i liked it the first time i saw it but it continues to grow on me dr strange love i love right off the bat though just for the record that was like 12 minutes into this movie and i'm like this is a great movie i don't see how it could drop the ball and it never does yeah. Even uh, I love the ending too, which I'll probably do the music for for this. It's probably already playing at this point. We'll meet again. <laughs> it's just such a like Kubrick also does a really good job of um, picking songs that like fit really well into his type of work. 
obviously he usually goes for the more classical type of music, but that song of like it's so like so happy that like you're gonna be in heaven or something <laughs> as the destruction of the world happens. So that's how we'll send off this podcast too. You know, uh, I'm on Twitter, JJ Morgan 19. ChuckFin66. Follow us on Facebook there where you can see our ads. I had fucked up the killing ads. I scheduled them for March. <laughs> I was like, why didn't these post? And I was like, oh, well, they would have been posting in March. So, fuck. Uh, anyways, that's how our podcast goes. This is Cinema Demore, and I hope that you enjoyed what you listened to. And uh, stay tuned for next week because I'm going to try to make something epic out of it. I will probably drop the ball, but epic <laughs> is the goal. Epic is the goal. Bye, so guys. Try. Yeah, I'll try. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again. Don't know where. Don't know when. But I know we'll meet again. Some sunny day. Smiling through Just like you Always do Till the blue skies Drive the dark clouds Far away So will you please say hello To the folks that I know Tell them I won't be long They'll be happy to know that as you saw me go, I was singing this song. We'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day.